Welcome to the Entrepreneur Escape Pod. I'm your host, Melissa Rittenhouse. Entrepreneur Escape Pod is for anyone interested in learning about the multitude of ways to create a career for yourself outside of a traditional nine to five, as well as anyone who is inspired to learn from others and take action towards their goals. In each episode, I interview a wide variety of people from entrepreneurs to artists to digital nomads so we can learn from them and expand our perspective on work in the digital age. I'll also share with you my thoughts on any newsworthy topics related to remote work, tech, digital entrepreneurship and more. If you're ready to feel inspired, let's dive into Entrepreneur Escape Pod. Hey guys, it's Melissa here. I just wanted to jump on to the podcast right before you guys have a listen to it because I re-listened to the podcast uh, after I recorded it last night and there were some things I get into towards the end where I'm talking a lot about like work and demographics and things like that but I feel like my ideas are just kind of all over the place and when I was listening to it I thought like okay maybe there's a way I can articulate this better and make it more interesting um kind of similar to this one YouTube channel I like what it felt his to you just sort of explains things that he reads and things but does it in a way that's like very articulate and well put together so um I might try and do that and an another time but I I didn't want to just re-record the whole podcast again so um but I just want to let you know I might touch on this topic again but maybe in a more thoughtful way this (laughs) in this episode I'm kind of just like um I don't know having a stream of consciousness and letting my thoughts flow so it might be a little bit rambly but um either way I hope you guys enjoy it and thanks (laughs) Hi everyone and welcome to another solo episode of Entrepreneur Escape Pod. I'm your host Melissa and yeah let's just dive right into it. I kind of liked the last solo episode I did where I just sort of um, went a little off the cuff and just talked about random things that I'm interested in so um, I kind of wanted to just do the same sort of thing on this solo episode and it's kind of funny I recorded actually this whole podcast two days ago but I didn't I felt like it was a little rambly, so I want to try and give it another shot and really get the solo episode flow down. Um, but I didn't really want to focus too much on newsworthy stories, although we can definitely touch on some. Um, just because sometimes when I do the newsworthy stories, I feel like I get so like preoccupied with making sure I say things accurately and like not just trying to sound like a dumbass or anything like that. And so... Um, but I don't know, I kind of feel like it, it's hard for me to like get in as much of a flow with that kind of stuff. But um, I've also been thinking too about other kinds of things I want to do with this podcast. And with the last solo episode, I didn't really talk, I, I don't think, too much about entrepreneurship. And I feel like for solo episodes, I don't always necessarily want to focus on that. I'd rather just kind of talk about things that are interesting me. But then that kind of leads me to think like, okay is that really what the audience wants to hear? Because I don't know if they have this expectation um, for me to be talking about like business entrepreneurship on the solo episodes, but um, I like doing the solo episodes. I kind of like having that sort of like free form way of speaking. And so we'll just kind of see how it goes and let me know. Uh, if you do like it, let me know. Just uh, feel free to DM me or something and let me know what you think. But um, okay, sorry, I just wanted to adjust my mic really quick but okay so what are some things I wanted to talk about oh yes I did want to talk about um this content trip I went on to Joshua Tree 
um, with one of my my friend Chelsea Graber, who's a UGC creator, and I had her on the podcast. So if you haven't listened to the episode with Chelsea yet, uh, check her out. And yeah, it was so cool going with her because I feel like she's, it was really interesting talking to her about everything she's doing with UGC and getting to see the trip. I She organized the whole thing. She reached out to the person who runs the Airbnb out in Joshua Tree. Um, so I just kind of tagged along. She um, essentially, I think she'll probably do more of these trips too, if you're a creator and interested in joining her. But essentially, um, yeah, so she reached out to the person who owns the Airbnb. We all, we both shot some footage and um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I was a little nervous going into it because I haven't been like camping or glamping ever and I wasn't sure what it'd be like, but it was really, really fun and really cool. And um, I will, if I can find the Airbnb, leave a link to that particular stay because it was a lot of fun. And yeah, I feel, okay, I also haven't, I have so much content from there that I want to do more with. And I have been just like, I don't know, lately on... um, like a content plateau, I feel like. Um, I mean, okay, I have a lot of content that I've already created that I feel like I need to redo. I'll, I'll, I'll get into that why. And um, I don't know, this week, has, I just feel like I've been like off my game a little bit in a way. And I haven't like, I've been like kind of waking up late too. And I can get into that later as well. But um, I have this content I made, but I feel like I just want to like redo it and reshoot it. And now it's like, I kind of feel like I'm getting behind on everything. Or I have content that I shot, but I haven't edited it. And I have honestly so much content I've shot that I really want to edit and make look cool. And I know I just need to sit down and do it, but I feel like I get very easily (laughs) distracted. So yeah, that's like one thing I've kind of been realizing about myself is that like, I think sometimes I just like forget about things too easily and I get easily distracted and there's a lot of stuff I want to do. And um, I'm not always as productive as I want to be. It depends. But, um, yeah, I've also been kind of waking up late, which I don't really love either, but it's because, and, um, let me see if you, how many of you guys can relate to this, but I have been not waking up as early as I want to. And it's because I can't fall asleep at night. And it's not because like I'm up doing stuff. And I I almost kind of at this point feel like maybe I should just stay up and not even try to go to bed early. But literally like Wednesday night is the only exception because Wednesday night I went to a comedy show. But every other night this week, I was like intentional about like, okay, I'm I'm going to like go to bed early. And I've been wanting to wake up early, like five, six a.m. And um, and it just hasn't been happening. And uh I, I, every time I go to fall asleep, like I just stay awake in my bed for like two hours at least because I can't fall asleep and I just feel so, and it sucks because like I'll wake up in the mornings and feel so tired, but then like once it's time to go to bed, I have like a t- not a ton of energy, but I don't feel tired at all. So it's, uh, it's very frustrating. And, um, I think part of it is because I just kind of, I don't know, I think something about like, maybe I feel like I should spend more time like meditating or journaling or something like that because I think like when I'm in bed um I don't try and look at my phone or anything like that like obviously once the lights are off because I don't want the blue light to distract me so if I can't fall asleep I kind of just like lay in bed and try and fall asleep but my I'll just be thinking about so many things and like my mind just keeps like racing with all these thoughts I have and I'm like maybe it's because 
this is like the time of day where my mind is like the least distracted and most clear that I just keep thinking about stuff. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, but I just wanted to put that out there. But anyway, back to the content creator trip. It was a lot of fun. Um, Joshua Tree can be kind of interesting. Like I said, I want to find a link to this Airbnb because it was a really, really nice day. It had a lot of amazing tents, a great like area to eat. Um, we did stay overnight, but we kind of got there like, you know, I, I got there around like four or something. So we got there in the afternoon and then left at like 8am the next morning. So, um, I didn't shower there or anything like that. Cause I just like waited until I got back home. So I can't speak to that, but they did have a, a natural hot springs and that was a lot of fun. Um, and the guy who owned it was very nice as well, but yeah, hopefully I'll have, okay. I will make it a point to edit this content over the weekend and have it soon. And, um, a lot of other content I want to get done as well. So yeah. Um, okay. So, um, I was just re-listening to what I just recorded and there were a couple things that I forgot to mention. So I went on this trip with, I said, Chelsea Graber, UGC creator. Um, she is, um, she put this trip together, but she also was reaching out to anyone who is a content creator or interested in getting started in UGC content to join her on some of um, these Airbnb trips that she plans. I don't know if she has uh, any trips that are upcoming that she's already booked and planned, but um, she put this out on Twitter. That's how I heard about it. And then... Um, had like a, a form you could fill out where you could just say like which trips you were available to go on and a bunch of other various information related to the trip and all of that so um that's what I mean by like <laughs> I think she probably will do more and so just keep your eyes peeled I'd just follow her on Twitter if that's something that you might be interested in doing um so yeah I just wanted to put that out there as well and then um I was just mentioning things about this Joshua Tree trip because it was like a camping type of situation too, but it was a really nice one. So yeah, anyway, I just wanted to add that note because I realized I had mentioned the content creator trips, but I didn't really give too much detail on how that works. Okay. By the way, speaking of staying up all night, thinking about content, I was doing that the other day and just... Um, thinking about uh, my content strategy, I went on like this huge rant with it and the other podcasts I recorded, but now I just feel like, I don't know how much I really have to say on it, but, um, I, I guess I've just been reevaluating what, how I want to do things and what kind of content, um, I want to create. And I also think too, maybe I'm sometimes, and I've thought this before, like too focused on one platform like mostly it's Instagram even though I also do post to TikTok too but it's a lot of the same content and I don't feel like I am as like with Instagram I feel like I have a better sense of what does well and what I like so um I want to say I almost like think about it more whereas with TikTok it's like I don't put as much stock into it sometimes because I feel like my account's still growing and I'm still figuring things out and I've haven't really had that many posts that have gone like gotten a a wide audience although the one post that's done the best for me in the last two months it's the same post on Instagram and TikTok and that's uh it's a like the top three rooftop bars in Vegas so I have thought about like maybe I should do more travel type of content or Vegas content because I feel like um one I kind of like doing that kind of content a little bit more sometimes because 
um, it's just very comes nat- more naturally for me to talk about. And in some ways, it's like you know, I really do enjoy um, I going out in Vegas, and I feel like I'm someone who kind of I don't want to say I go out a lot. I really don't compared to some people. I'm definitely someone who enjoys being home, but <laughs> I do also enjoy going out and there's a lot of cool places in Vegas and a lot of new places opening up. So, um, I, I do kind of want to do more stuff around that. I think I'm kind of thinking about it. I'm like, should I start like a separate page or something like that? But I don't know. Um, but I guess one thing I was kind of talking about in the, the rant I recorded on a different podcast that I was thinking about all night is like, um, I don't know, like, uh, it's just kind of like coming off as an expert or talking about expertise. Like, and this is kind of a problem I feel like I've been having on with social media for a while is like, um, I don't really feel like I'm an expert in anything. And I like to talk about things I'm really interested in, but I, I never feel like it's like, oh, this is my area of expertise. I feel like I am someone who's more just like curious and wants to know the, the answers to things. And so, um, I mean, I, that's, good and I I try and to when I even talk about issues to kind of keep it in the sense of like well this is either just coming from my own experience of this is what I know or just like kind of coming from a place of curiosity like I I mean I hope I feel like I do that on this podcast and I hope it comes across that way where it's when I'm interviewing people a lot of times you know I just want to know what they're about it's it's so much easier for me honestly to do like interviews in some ways because I can just kind of ask questions and sort of um, hopefully just be like a good listener, um, and make sure that I'm answering questions that bring out some interesting points that the guests may want to share. But, um, when it comes to myself, it's like, I don't really feel like I'm an expert in anything. And I, I don't, I don't know. And so that's like, I, a lot of times I feel like the content I was looking into this, some of the content that does well, it is coming from this, like, ultra confidence like place of like this is what you need to do and like you see that on other platforms too a lot and I just I don't know I I know that kind of content like maybe performs better but I just don't feel like it's really who I am and so maybe that's why I feel like I don't know because I lately I haven't been feeling like my content's really been performing as well and maybe that means I should lean into more things just like travel content or like things to do in Vegas stuff like that because I feel like I can come talk about those things in a more like relaxed and kind of like definitive way as opposed to like other things where I'm like this is what I like and I don't know so uh, anyway that's just my two cents um but yeah uh and also kind of on that note I actually was interviewed for the first time in um for a YouTube show that my um my friend and old neighbor um, named Howard has it's the show's called off the mag I th- it should be on YouTube um, probably in a few days after this podcast comes out but that was a lot of fun because I really enjoy talking to him and it was really cool to see him again because I haven't talked to him in in a long time but um, and it was cool I, I really enjoyed talking to him but yeah I was so nervous I, I actually um, I didn't even respond to it like he he messaged me a while ago to see if I wanted to do it and I was like nervous about even doing it before I said yes which kind of like is funny put things you know as someone who interviews people put things in perspective because like I interview people but I I'm never like I never really put myself out there to be interviewed um like I don't really like message people to be on their podcast or anything and it's because of like yeah because like I don't feel like I'm an expert (laughs) and I I feel like I just 
I don't know, but I also kind of feel like maybe with the topics I talk about, people think I'm more of an expert than I feel like I am. So, um, I don't know, but I was nervous to do it, but, um, it was a lot of fun. So, um, although it's kind of funny because I've been meaning to update my website for a while too, and I just haven't got around to it. And it's kind of been one of those things where I'm like, okay, well I should do it, but it's not like at the top of the, my priorities list. But then he was like, he definitely looked at my website before he interviewed me. Cause he was asking me questions based on some of those things. And I was like, oh yeah, like, I don't, I don't know. I was like, I don't really do that anymore. <laughs> so, but it was like a good reminder. It's like, okay, update that website anyway. So, um, so yeah, let's kind of just spend some of the things that I've been thinking about. Um, but yeah. And so let me know what you guys think. If you want to see more like Vegas content, more, um, other kinds of things too. Like what, cause I, one thing to, I, oh yeah. Like my last solo episode, I talked a lot about stand up comedy. I went to another comedy show this week. That was a lot of fun. Um, I don't do stand up comedy, but I've been, maybe I should start <laughs> and start writing it. I don't know, but I would like to have standups on the podcast. Sometimes I don't know if it would be like fit the theme of the show. And that's actually, this kind of gets into an interesting point about like niches and themes anyway, because, um, Chelsea was actually tweeting about how she doesn't feel like you really need a niche to be successful on social media. And I do agree with that. And I've heard kind of like mixed up opinions on that. And I think niches are one of those things where it's like, it really just depends. Like, I definitely think it can help you grow faster. However, I don't know if like, it's, it's different if you're as a personal brand, I don't know how much you really need it is I guess what I think, because, um, when I think of like a niche, if you're going to have something like a theme page or you're going to be posting content that's maybe you're getting from other people or I don't know if you want to have a certain channel dedicated to a theme, I think it will help you probably grow faster because you could be very targeted in who you reach and it's very easy to, to define your channel and what you do. Um, I'm thinking like YouTube channels, but Instagram, it's like there's always theme pages or something like that. And then with a personal brand, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, yes, there are people who have personal brands that are focused on a theme, whether that's like fitness or beauty or whatever it is. Um, but I feel like the, the issue of a niche is a little different when it does, when it comes to what would be considered a personal brand or your personal social media profiles, because even though niches help and they help grow an audience and obviously it's like, they make your content really easy for a new, it's like someone new to be like, okay, this is what this person's about. Um, you know, if you're following someone who's a fitness influencer, you know what you're going to get. Same thing with like makeup or fashion or like travel, anything like that. But at the same time, it's like, I know a lot of people who are influencers who have kind of like switched niches or gone from one niche to another niche or, um, and I think part of that is just because I, I don't think people like being, confined to one niche for too long I know maybe some people do some people kind of start small and then expand their niche like um I was watching some of Graham Stephan's videos and I think he's probably a good example of this as someone who started off his channel talking about real estate mostly and then expanded into other kinds of investments and then just finance in general. So I think that's one way of doing it is like you kind of start with a smaller niche and expand out into other things that are related. Um, 
but I kind of agree with Chelsea too. I don't think you necessarily have to have a niche to build an audience for one. And I also think as people have these social channels that they've been building for like years now, it makes sense that people would kind of shift niches or change. And I also know I've, you know, with some creators, they feel like, and and this is like kind of one of the reasons why I feel like I don't always like niches is because like sometimes it can, I don't want to say like pigeonhole you, but um, sometimes people do want to expand beyond maybe a niche that they've made a name for themselves in and aren't always sure how to go about doing that. Um, so those are my thoughts <laughs> on having a niche because they're, yeah, like I was saying, I, I want to maybe, I still want to do the podcast that I've been doing and keep building it. But at the same time, I'm like, man, there's more I want to talk about and maybe a, a different way I want to sort of present things. And so I feel like maybe that's one thing I'm kind of going through right now. And that's why I'm thinking about what I want to even put out there content wise, um, aside from this podcast necessarily, but just more so on social media of like, I I don't want to like necessarily put myself into this like expert position because I just don't feel like that's who I am and so like how can I do that in a way that's like um I don't know where it makes sense with this podcast but it's like I'm also um can talk about other things that interest me or be sort of like I don't know more I don't I don't want to say like true to myself but like represent make sure I'm not like um I don't know yeah just feel like not not always come at it from like a, a teacher point of view and not to say that I do that but I just kind of feel like when I was thinking about like the content I've already been doing like how to make it like more effective like for example I was watching this one video talking about Instagram reels and what kind of content is doing well and one of the types of content is sort of like this like b-roll footage with text over it and he was the person who made the video was talking about like a b-roll footage with like a tweet over it and um I mean, first of all, I agree. I think that content is a good way of creating content. Doesn't you don't you can do it in a way where it's you know very fun and like not coming from this like like I said expert place. But the the first person I thought of who who makes content like that is this creator Vanessa Lau, and I really like her a lot. I think she's she's awesome. She creates great content, but like she definitely has like a way of of. Like, when I see her content like that of tweets and stuff, it's definitely coming from this place of, like, an expert business owner, an expert, you know, social media creator and all that. And, like, I don't know. It definitely works for her. I just don't feel like that's me. (laughs) And so it's, like, when I was looking at that footage, I'm, like, yeah, that probably does perform well. But, like, I don't think I could really create footage like that. Or not exactly like that. I think I could do that same kind of concept of, like, B-roll with font over it, but do it in a different kind of way. So anyway, my point is that's what's been on my mind content-wise. Let me know your thoughts, what you guys think. Um, If I should do, I don't know. I want to do travel content. I want to have maybe some comedians on the show. And I want to talk about things that are like kind of fun and interesting. And I was thinking too about, because my last podcast I had, Um, a writing coach named Genevieve on the show and she talked about writing a book and I really liked everything she had to say and I thought about like okay if I was going to write a book what I want what would I want to talk about and I had a few different ideas but I've been thinking I'm like man I really would like to write a book about um, 
just work and our relationship with work and technology essentially are like, um, and I think that does kind of fit into the podcast, but like I wanted to go, I don't know, go, not just focus so much on like, okay, um, like you know, the future of remote work or how it, but even like m- deeper than that in a sense, like <laughs> because uh, I really go back, I don't know, just explore it from a, a bunch of different angles because um I, you know, I, I feel like this is another thing too. Like I'll read things and hear things and I'll, I'll kind of like have these ideas in my head of like an idea that really stands out to me or that I think is cool, but it just kind of like floats around in my brain and I'll find other things that maybe relate to it or bleed into it, but I don't really like organize, put any of these things together. But, it, uh, but I, I was thinking a lot about, um, just cause you just, I, I, you know, nowadays it's like, I, you read a lot of people's thoughts on work, remote work, the economy, the economy's on everyone's mind. That obviously relates into work, but, um, well, there's so many things to get into. I feel like even now, just like <laughs> trying to articulate my, my thoughts on this podcast, I'm like, I hope I'm not being too rambly and like in the weeds with everything, but, um, okay. So a few things related to that. Demographics is a big thing. Um, I was, I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with this guy named Peter Zihan. I think he's technically like a historian, but he has a YouTube channel and he's been on a bunch of people's podcasts. He's really interesting. He just wrote a new book that's all about demographics and and I've downloaded it on audiobook. I've listened to maybe like a quarter of it so far. I might buy it. I've been having a hard time, side note, with audiobooks. Like, um, I just feel like I need to buy the book and read it because it's, I get, I don't know. I just feel like I, I'm not retaining things as well on audiobooks these days. So I'm just like maybe too, my mind's too ADD or something. And I just like, I feel like I, I need to get the book in order to like really retain it. So, um, but it's, it's really interesting. And I've heard him talk about this topic because he's been promoting the book on other, on podcasts and stuff lately. And, um, it's so interesting and it's like, it's such a big issue. And I feel like it's kind of overlooked and, this sort of like, I guess you could say like mainstream, I I don't know if you would want to call it political discourse, I I guess, but like uh, mainstream like discourse. I mean, sometimes people talk about it, but it's not as much of a thing people mention. But, um, but yeah, essentially his whole, um, essentially in the book on demographics, it's really addressing the fact that, and this is not, you know, that in so many countries around the world, particularly a lot of like developed countries in Western Europe and Asia and even kind of the U.S., although actually the U.S. is in a little better spot than some of these other places, um, how the, okay, so the birth rates have been going down for a while now, and we're at the point where essentially there's um, a larger population of older people than younger people, and as these older people start to retire and, um, you know, eventually die, how that's going to change just the whole like global economy. Because, um, I mean, one, it's just like, there's not going to be as many people in the workforce and this workforce is sort of built with a certain number of people in mind. So there's that. And just a lot of other things having to do with like global politics and economics. And it's a really interesting idea. So, um, yeah, so that's one, one part of it. Um, and that's going to change people's relationship to work uh, for sure, because, 
Um, like I said, it's just as people leave the workforce, there's going to be fewer people coming in. So um, that's why I think too, with like, even though now it's like, there's kind of like talk about whether or not we're in a recession or like, it, you know, however you want to define it, there is like some sort of, you know, some sense of like a, an economic slowdown, but like the unemployment rate is still low and the labor force participation rate is still low. Um, the labor force participation rate being low, I don't think that's necessarily due to demographics, at least in the U.S. And like I said, the U.S. is actually, um, you know, somewhat better positioned than other places in the in the world. But um, But yeah, like maybe that's one reason why, even though the economy might be like shrinking <laughs> in a way, it, the unemployment rate's still low because um, I guess like the, the the population boom for for us, but also like kind of around the world was around, you know, like the baby boomer time, like people born in the 1950s and early 60s. And those people are now essentially retiring. So they're um, not in the labor force as much. So uh, anyway, just like an interesting thought that's one area I'd want to kind of dive into with it. And then another thing that's been on my mind, and I did kind of create um, like a, a content piece around this, but I feel like I might want to re-record it before I release it. Um, I supposed to like put it out today, but I'm like, I just want to like re-record it and do it better. Um, but anyway, the other thing was uh, one thing I was thinking about too. Um, I was listening to Megan Kelly's podcast like a few weeks ago and she had Malcolm Gladwell on and they were talking about remote work um, and how it's so appealing to like younger people and let's say like, you know, millennials and so on. And um, they were talking about that and um, Malcolm Gladwell made this good point, I thought, where he was saying, you know, when you have like, uh, and this is like a, a thing that's been a kind of like a hundred year, I don't know if you could say problem, but hundred year problem in a way where it's like, okay, so for the last hundred years or so, um, you know, kind of a little longer, all these jobs have been, this, these big cities have been like the hubs for all of these jobs, right? So, you know, San Francisco, LA, Chicago, New York, like that's, people gravitate towards those areas because that's where the, the jobs are for the most part. And then another kind of demographic, and this is how demographics plays into this. So that's been going on. Now you kind of are in a situation, he used Toronto as an example, where like, okay, all these jobs are, you know, concentrated in Toronto, let's, as opposed to smaller cities and suburbs outside of, you know, in Canada. And so now you have this situation where it's like, um, the, the real estate in Toronto is very expensive because, um people have been there working for, you know, the last like, hundred years and people are living longer now. So the workers of, you know, the last, like, you know, all the, the baby boomers essentially who were working in these cities who are now retired are still living in the cities a lot of times or, uh, or they're still going to work. So you have like, you still have like the existing workforce plus like the retired workforce still in the city. And if in some of these cases with some cities, like they're not building as much in terms of housing and things like that. So now there's really a housing shortage in a lot of these cities. So, or you could say like essentially a housing shortage where, 
either there's like not as many houses available for the people that need to be there to work. So that drives up the price of the housing that is there. So if you are a younger worker who's essentially on like an entry level or mid-level salary and you're competing for housing with people who have either bought their house like 30, 40 years ago or who um, earn more money than you because they're at a more senior level uh, of employment, it's like what are your options? Your options are either to like spend a, a lot, a large part of your salary on housing and maybe even housing that's like smaller than you'd like it to be, or just like you have a roommate, something like that. Or you live further away from the city and commute in. And sometimes a commute could be like he said, two hours each way. So like four, three to four hours a day. So my point is, it's like, how much are these demographics of these cities contributing to the appeal of remote work for young people because remote work kind of gives younger people this option of like, okay, I can, you know, still have a job that pays well and not have to necessarily be forced to like either be in a situation where I'm spending a ton of my income on housing or I'm saving money on housing, but now I'm spending more of my time commuting. And, uh, sorry, I'm like running out of breath talking about this. Um, but Malcolm Gladwell brought that up with Toronto as an example. And I've never been to Toronto. I really don't know. I don't know exactly like what that city is like necessarily from firsthand experience, but, um, I could just say for my, uh, for my own experience in the, in the San Francisco Bay area, the outside of San Francisco, particularly more like San Jose Peninsula area, they totally have that problem where it's like, I mean, one of my friends pointed out to me where it's like, there's literally more people living there than the number of houses available. So that means just by default, like it's something like it was like, there has to be at least three people for every house, like in in one house. So it's our apartment even, it doesn't, you know, so it's like essentially every like one person living by themselves, it kind of equates to at some place there's like five people in one house, (laughs) you know, I mean, theoretically, but my point is it's like, there's more, there's more people living there, at least there was when I was there, than there are housing available. And they, I mean, dude, the Bay Area's had a problem with expensive housing, like long before COVID or anything. It's been a problem, I don't know exactly when it started, but I mean, at least all of like the, the 2010s, I mean, it was like known for being one of the most expensive places to live. And it was even, I would say like worse than, you know, LA. And I lived in LA for a little while too, but um and I don't, I remember it being more of a problem in the Bay than it was in Los Angeles. Um, I'm just saying, but, um, but yeah. And, and a lot of it was like this demographic problem where I mean, okay. Like you, and and you really see it in the Bay because you'll see a house that's like not a particularly special house at all. It's like, I mean, a house that in like Ohio would go for like, you know, where my, like I, I lived, you know, I was like staying at a house that looked like a house my uncle lived in, in Cincinnati, Ohio. And it was like almost $2 million. And it's like, the house would be like maybe $200,000 in Cincinnati, Ohio. And it's like, there's nothing about the house that's worth $2 million. It's just the, it's location that makes it so valuable. Um, but the people, a lot of, you know, oftentimes the people who own those homes didn't pay $2 million for it. They bought it like 20, 30 years ago when it was less expensive and have, you know, still been living in it. And, um, and I think the Bay Area is a perfect example of like oftentimes the people who own the property there aren't necessarily even the people even in the workforce. It's like a lot of times retired people, older people, or people who are like real estate investors. So um, 
you know, I think, <laughs> I think that's why I, and I think too, in the Bay, it's like a lot of tech companies really, even though like, uh, I guess they, there's like mixed sort of a mixed consensus with tech companies on remote work. A lot of them are okay with it. From what I've heard, it's like, it, I think it really just depends on what kind of job you're doing. But like, for the most part, it seems like a lot of tech companies are really open to the idea of re- remote work because, um, they just know housing is expensive. And so, uh, and they usually factor it into the salaries they pay people. So oftentimes they sort of give people an option, or at least, I don't know, with some of my friends who did have jobs go remote during COVID, um, some of them were kind of given the option of like staying remote, but getting maybe paid less or coming back to the office. (laughs) But um, a lot of them chose to just stay remote because um, that just worked better for them. So I guess my point is, (laughs) too, with that is, like, that's another thing I wanted to kind of, if I were to, like, I don't know, when I think about things like writing a book on jobs and work, it's, like, those are the kinds of things I want to, like, explore, those kinds of ideas. It's, like, um, and I'm sure there's a lot more to it than just that. And also, too, I even think about a lot, like, I remember when I would um, was like learning about the industrial revolution in high school and stuff, and like <laughs> kind of one of the, you know, there was a lot of like content, like um, you know, it wasn't something that like people really embraced, kind of you know, going from like an agricultural life to living in the city, working in a factory. Um, I would want to get into more of like the historical context around that shift in particular because I feel like it was really profound in a lot of ways and I I I've and anyway um I'm just saying kind of like a lot of these um how it just affected people in ways that maybe I don't think were always so obvious like I I've remember reading um somewhere I don't know where that like um a lot of like very kind of um, big philosophical ideas um, like Nietzsche's, like the death of God happened around the indust- the time of the industrial revolution because it the the kind of like life the change in lifestyle was so profound on people that it like um, you know it even changed the way like their attitudes kind of like towards like spirituality and religion which you wouldn't think and I don't know maybe I'm getting that wrong and that's like a flawed idea but. I thought that was kind of interesting and I, I could kind of see that and, um, yeah. And I, I, but I do, I was going to say, I remember when I was learning about the industrial revolution in school hearing, um, you know, one of the big phrases between like workers that were unhappy with working in a factory was like, they felt like they were like cogs in in a machine essentially. Um, and I kind of wonder if that feeling never really, went away I mean yes like we don't really work in factories (laughs) most people don't work in pre you know these early era like industrial era factories which were like quite dangerous and very monotonous and like physically hard on people um so it is different in that sense but um but you know I feel like now that we're kind of in this era of like computer-based jobs a lot of the time I wonder if people still have that kind of similar feeling, <laughs> although it's just maybe not as like physically 
draining and demanding and feeling like, oh, I'm just like a cog in this giant industrial machine. But maybe it's almost like a different way of that having that same feeling where you're like, because I know one thing I hear from people who even like their jobs, who work in, you know, mostly like these like white collar, like marketing tech, whatever jobs is like, it's they're like they get have like an like a stress of like sitting at the computer eight hours a day and like are they just they say that's one of the things they don't like about their job it's like they just have like a dissatisfaction with that and when you know and I've felt that way too because I've you know I've had jobs where it's like I would be just kind of typing away on a computer like eight hours a day and it does kind of give you this like cog in the machine feeling (laughs) although it's like a different kind of cog in a different kind of machine I suppose it's like uh and, um, you know, I, it's so I, I feel like I'd want to kind of explore that idea more because I feel like in some ways I don't know if we really ever resolved that in a way. Um, I think maybe sometimes people do feel that way still. And I do think with the good thing with technology is like um, it can also give us like more more freedom you know, in a way with how we work. Like we don't necessarily have to feel like cogs in a machine. Um, that's not to say like, but I don't know, that's like just a, an idea I'd want to explore more too. And it's kind of funny. I saw, I saw a funny tweet the other day, sort of, uh, echoing that similar sentiment where they were talking about this guy, David Goggins, who I, I really like, I read his book. I think he's awesome, but like, he's someone who's like pushed himself, um, to the limit physically a lot, like doing ultra marathons. And he, I think he broke like the Guinness world book of records for like the most pull-ups or something. And, you know, he's just like, um, you know, someone who definitely pushes himself and the tweet was something along the lines of like, it's like, oh yeah. Like basically like, oh, I'm not impressed with David Goggins because like anyone who's done high school sports knows they could put them, push themselves physically, but has he ever sat at a computer 10 hours a day working? I thought it was just kind of funny because it's like, yeah, that it just shows like that is like a different, I mean, I don't want to say you're like pushing yourself physically, but it's almost like the opposite where you're like, you know, stagnant for so long. And (laughs) so, I don't know. I thought that was like kind of a funny comment that maybe sort of echoed that same sentiment. But um, but yeah. Um, so those are kind of some of the things I think about a lot, and why I why I have my podcast around this theme of entrepreneurship, and I kind of gravitate towards people who have like online businesses because, like I said, I feel like it is kind of a way to uh, um, I guess have like a more of a sense of like. I don't know, autonomy and freedom in the way we, we work. And I, I like hearing people's stories um, in regards to that. But um, but yeah, <laughs> let me know your guys' thoughts on all the stuff I just said. I know it was kind of rambly. So thank you for bearing with me. I hope maybe the more I do these types of solo podcasts, the more I can not be so rambly. <laughs> but I think that that's my point. Sometimes it's hard for me to like organize my thoughts (laughs) and that's why I kind of like re-record these podcasts a lot. But, um, let me see what, how long we've been going for here. Okay. About 40 minutes. I was going to kind of, I was going to touch on the Elon Musk Twitter takeover, but yeah. Okay. I'll just touch on it for like five minutes. Um, so I'm kind of, I mean, I, I think it's a good thing. I, here's what I'll say. 
I don't create content on Twitter that much, although I've, I've been wanting to like start, although it's like kind of what I was just saying with like, I think the best tweets are like usually the threads that are like, here's five things you need to know. And I'm like, I don't know if that's just like not my style really, but hey, maybe I should make it my style. But anyway, um, so, but yeah, I've been getting more into Twitter. I mean, I, I will say like, I don't always create on Twitter, but I, I love it as like a consumer's perspective like I I probably use Twitter you know I'm probably on Twitter more than Instagram and TikTok as a as a spectator or as a as a uh, I don't know consumer however you want to put it but um, I will say like I wasn't really sure if Elon was going to actually take control of Twitter until it like it literally actually happened because there was a lot of speculation around whether or not this deal would fall through and I was also um, I remember if you guys listen to Peter Schiff's podcast, I do every now and then. I like Peter Schiff a lot. I think he's really interesting. But um, he was saying from the beginning he didn't think Elon was going to buy it, even when he was claiming he would, but, like, before um, the whole bots issue and the lawsuit and all that. So I was kind of, like, I kind of thought he maybe had a point there. And so I was sort of like, okay, until until the deal's actually done, I, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Um but I would say I probably I would have used it regardless of whether or not he bought it. I'm happy he did buy it though because I feel like overall it's a good thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I don't know. I mean, I, I, some people don't like Elon. They find him kind of controversial. But um, I mean, I think I think he means well. <laughs> so I want to give him a chance as like the new owner of Twitter. And I think, like I said, it is a good thing in some ways. Um, I mean, honestly though, it's it, at least. Well, I will say this, like they were losing money and the idea that a social media company, I think sometimes we see them as like too big to fail almost, but like, I mean, look at what happened to, to Vine, a company that Twitter owned, like it was very popular and it ended up shutting down because it wasn't making any money. So, and, and the funny thing is like Twitter had such good, like, I don't know what you call them, like apps that were like underneath them, like Vine and then Periscope was great. I don't think, I don't know if Periscope's around anymore. I, it kind of fell off, but it was great for a while. <laughs> and like, uh, I mean, I liked it and and I liked Vine and all that. But um, I don't know, so this idea that like it could, you know, that it wouldn't lose money or go bankrupt, I feel like it, it definitely could have happened. Maybe it won't now. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, let me know what you guys think about this, like, $8 a month for a verified account thing. Okay. It's kind of funny. I'll say, I think it's not such a bad idea. I really honestly don't understand why people are upset about it. I mean, I think the people who are the most vocally upset about it are people who just don't like Elon Musk and don't like that he's in charge of Twitter. So they're just kind of like shooting down all of his ideas and like finding something to be angry about. Um, I mean, for the most part, I would say it's like, if people have valid concerns, there's like, I'm sure they could be addressed. And like, I think if it is something like, okay, if you're someone who's like a, a like a pub, like a public figure in the sense that like you're, you work in government or something, I'm sure they could do have a way to verify you at no cost, I suppose, if that if need be like, hey, like, we want to make sure like, you know, we'll verify you so that no people can impersonate you or something like that. But um you know, I, I mean, I honestly, I don't, for the most part though, I, it's like, you could always find like maybe areas which it's not the best idea, but I think for the most part, it's a good idea because 
Um, I mean, yeah, like one, it kind of addresses the bots issue. You don't necessarily have to pay to be verified, but a lot of, you know, companies verify accounts. But what's, I mean, you don't have to pay if you don't want to, first of all. If you want to pay, you can. It it seems to come, he is proposing additional features like less ads or maybe you're more easy to find in search. So it's there are benefits to paying if you choose to pay. If you're not someone who tweets often and isn't really interested in building a following, you're just there to like read people's tweets, you don't have to pay and it probably wouldn't really affect you. But I mean, the current system of verification, not just on Twitter, but like all social media pa- platforms feels very arbitrary. And unless you are someone who is like undoubtedly like well-known or famous or like has sort of I mean, I, even with people like actors, it's like, or athletes, it's like they probably have people within, like, their their agents or managers and stuff, like, in you know, talking to people at these social media platforms, getting them verified. They, So it's like if you're someone who is undoubtedly, like, well-known, it's probably not that hard to get verified. But I think of the current process, it's like if you're someone who is, like, a social media influencer or you're on the come-up or you have, like, a, a decent sized following, but you're not like necessarily a well-known public figure or very famous. It's like the verification process in that sense feels very like arbitrary. And it seems like from what I hear from people that, you, you know, it's like they, they just like kind of find someone at the company and like plead their case to get verified. Or I don't know, some cases people like pay to get verified, but they like, there's some sort of, you know, w- there's ways that they go about doing that that maybe are like kind of unofficial so it's like what's wrong with just making it very easy for people and like okay hey like you pay for the service and you're verified i in that sense i think it's a good idea because it just makes the process one transparent and two it's like you know a simple process rather than having to yeah, like have someone with influence that you know, contact someone at the company to help you get verified or like pleading your case or just not even, you know, are just being in the dark about how to go about getting verified. So um, that's my two cents <laughs> on that. Um, I don't think it's the, I don't know. I, I don't really see why some people are getting upset about it, but um, I'll just leave it at that, I guess. We'll see what happens with... Uh, as as time goes on with Twitter and um yeah let me know what you guys thought on this podcast if you liked it um if you guys have any recommendations for like the kinds of guests you want me to interview next let me know and I will talk to you guys uh next week and also oh yeah like I said don't forget to follow me on social media I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Melissa underscore Rittenhouse if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at virtual underscore Melissa and check out my website, but <laughs> I need to change the copy. So, but you could still go there too. It's just melissarittenhouse.co. But anyway, thanks again for listening and I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Entrepreneur Escape Pod. Don't forget to check in with us next week for an all new episode. For more information on our guest, please go to the podcast description of this episode. Also, don't forget to check out clips and updates on our next guest on our Instagram at Entrepreneur Escape Pod. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at Melissa underscore Rittenhouse and check out my website at melissarittenhouse.co. Thanks and see you next week.